Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Well, I believe the Lord met us here, but I believe you helped bring that. Amen. You brought that with you, and we appreciate that we're here tonight. and We have just come to warm our hands and heart around His Word. That's where we find strength and direction and hope. And my goodness, that list could just go on and on. Amen. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of James tonight, chapter 2. I love reading the book of James and uh, preaching from it and teaching from it. A couple of years ago, I did a series and was accused of... Uh, taking a couple of years to get through that. I'm, I'm sorry it seemed that long, but uh, you know you know you got friends when they can say things like that. The book of James chapter 2, the Bible says in James 2, 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man they say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Poised, pointed question. Faith without works is dead. And if the Lord will help me, and if you'll stay on board with me tonight, I want to just... My subject this evening is simply this, the power of two, the power of two, amen. I appreciate the spirit of the Lord and his presence here tonight, amen. I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do here this evening will change your life, amen, it really will because the word, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and so we're gonna go to the fundamental aspect of just his word and we're gonna just plug into that and let his spirit touch us. You can be seated and thank you for your, your uh, worship and your praise here tonight. It is said that by the time the Titanic had warning about the icebergs, that there wasn't enough time to turn that 52 ton, 92 feet wide cruise ship around or turn it at least enough to avoid danger. But the true tragedy is really found in the fact that they did have time. There was adequate warning. All through that day, the Titanic's crew received warning after warning of icebergs in the area. The, four, the first warning came some 14 hours before the ultimate crash. Captain Smith acknowledged the warning and nearby ships warned that they had been passing by icebergs and there were large quantities or what they referred to as a field of ice. Captain Smith also received that warning. So he changed the course to steam further south to avoid the ice 
But then came another warning and another and another and finally another. Some six or seven times the warnings went out screaming into the Titanic's radio room. You're in a dangerous position. You're in a dangerous place. One hour later, after the seventh and final warning, the Titanic slammed into an iceberg, sank to the bottom of the ocean, and we all know, sadly, that the rest is history. We find ourselves now, almost next month, will be a 110-year anniversary, and that story resonates with this generation today as much as it ever has. So unnecessary, if you read the story of the, the sinking of the Titanic, and there are many other aspects of this story, of course, that can hold us at rapt attention. And so here we are over a century later still thinking about how this serves as such a solemn warning that all through our lives there is the sounding of the trumpet and, and there are those voices that warn us, some with great detail. They will tell you, you shouldn't do this and here's why and they will break it all down and you can perhaps have it on about a third grade level. You can understand all the ins and outs. And others are not quite so detailed in their warnings. They just say that you shouldn't do that. And uh, it's not because they hope you stumble into danger, but that's just their, uh, that's their MO. They just kind of say something and you probably should listen. I've shared this story with you before, and, and, uh, but it's as true tonight as it's ever been. The very first time I was putting up barbed wire fence, I had never put up fence before, and barbed wire fence especially, and so I called my Uncle Daniel, and I asked him, I said, well, how tight should I get the wire? And he thought for just a moment, and he said, well, you want it tight, but you don't want it too tight. And that was the sum total of his uh, instructions. <laughs> and many years later, I met a man who, who put up fence for a living, I told him that story and he lifted his shirt and he said, here's why you don't want it too tight. And you could just see where barbed wire had gotten, uh, had, had broke and had wrapped around him. <laughs> and uh, so Uncle Daniel's story had a few less pictures. It was a little bit less descriptive and no color that went along with it, but it was just tight, but not too tight. And here was another man telling the same story. It was a little more bold, a little more vivid. You could see the scars and you could almost sense the pain in his voice. The truth of the matter is, is there's warnings all through life. The power of, of someone standing in our way and, and uh, saying we should not or we should. It's, uh, it's an admonition, I think, tucked away in this story. And that admonition is twofold. And that is that we should not only hear the warning, but we should heed the warning. Warnings that keep us from judgment, warnings that, that keep us somehow from veering off into the ditch where we shouldn't be. Noah heard such a warning. For Noah, I just assumed it was another day. It was a, very, a day very much like any other day in his life. But by the time this particular day was done, it would be a day that Noah would never forget. This was the day that Noah heard the voice of God as he announced pending judgment on the world, on the entire world. 
And the Lord said to Noah that he had repented, that he'd even made man when he saw the wickedness and the vile nature and the evil that was bound up in the heart of man. And so God shared with Noah one man who had found grace in his eyes and he gave him a plan to escape that pending judgment. In Genesis 6, verses 14, 15, and 16, God would give Noah detailed instructions on how to build the ark that would save him and his family. In verse number 17, God spoke to Noah about how a flood would come and wipe out everything, every living thing on the earth. Now, it's easy for us not easy for us to imagine a flood that would destroy the world, but we can relate to the terminology of a flood and we have seen its devastation. We live close enough to a river when the river rises. We can see the damage that can be left, but that pales in comparison to what can happen uh, through tsunamis and different things of that nature. But we have to put ourselves in the shoes of Noah. It never had even rained. And so we're talking about things that would be not almost, but it would be impossible to wrap your mind around it. That news alone would be enough to send chills through the heart of Noah. Not that he could relate to rain or a flood or not that he could relate to even judgment on that level. But God had spoken to Noah and Noah knew the voice of God. God's man had been given an inside track, some inside information, but this news was weighty. Have you ever received news from somebody? Somebody told you, shared something with you? I'm not talking about necessarily along the lines of gossip, but somebody shared something with you. They needed to unburden themselves and, and when they walked away, they felt better. <laughs> but you got a far away look in your eye because you got the weight of that whole situation that was just laid in your lap. <laughs> Amen. Too many of you related to that. I'm not sure what's going on here, but too many related to that. But, but here's Noah. God has just laid in his lap this voice of judgment, a plan for his family to escape this. Noah was some 500 plus years old. He was left to walk away from this conversation with the judgment and the weight of that judgment upon his shoulders. Genesis 22 is, is only one sentence long. Genesis 6 and 22. But it packs 100 years worth of blind faith and unbelievably hard work into just 13 short words. One verse, one sentence, 13 words. But it binds up a century plus, perhaps, of faith and work. Genesis 6 and 22. Thus Noah this thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. God has this conversation of conversations. It is a life-changing moment for the entire world. And, it is, and the end of that is all pulled and pushed and pressed into one verse, just a few words. This is what you need to do to escape, Noah, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Amen, so did he. Therefore, this verse, I believe, deserves some time and attention for you and I this evening. God gave Noah a substantial to-do list. I have several to-do lists, along with probably, perhaps most everybody here 
some things to do here, things to do at home, things to do in different areas of my life. But Noah's to-do list wasn't very long, but it was pretty large. Amen. So first item on the list is build an ark. The second thing is save the entire animal kingdom. And the third thing is save the human race. So it's not a long list, but it sure is a large list. But what's the one glaring detail that's missing in this to-do list? And that is the fact that God did not give Noah a timetable. He did not put a time stamp on any of this. He just knew, Noah just knew that a flood was coming, but he didn't know when. So Noah set out to follow the plan of God. First, we must build the ark. Now I realize that to many of the Bible thumpers here tonight, what I'm gonna share in this, in this narrative is very, very common, but let's just think about it again. Using the cubit of 18 inches, Noah's ark would have been somewhere around a football and a half long and nearly four stories high. And he couldn't just build it out of anything. It was a specific wood. The Bible calls it gopher wood. Many Bible scholars debate over what gopher wood was, but it just seems to me clearly that Noah understood what it was. So whether we do or not, the man that was tasked with the project understood the instructions. So it doesn't really need a lot on our behalf. Noah was going to, however, know this, that whatever gopher wood is, he's gonna need a lot of it because he's got a massive project on his hand. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not anyone helped Noah, but we do know that it took somewhere around 100 years to build the ark. And so it wasn't just wood that they were gonna need, but then the Bible says that the Lord spoke to him and said, you're gonna need to, you're gonna need to pitch it within and without. And the Bible's sort of silent again on what this is, what pitch would be or where you would get it or how you would make it, how you would apply it. But we do know that it needed to be sealed, that pitch was a sealant of some sort and it needed to be pitched within and without. It was designed to keep the ark afloat by keeping all the water out. And so only God really, really and truly, only God knew and knows how long it took Noah to build the ark but with its three decks and its window and of course, the famous door, amen. But when his family finished, amen, the last thing on the ark, there was still a lot of work to do because in truth, he only had a check mark by one thing on this list. Amen, the ark may have been finished, but Noah wasn't. Now it was time to save the animal kingdom. So God was going to at least save one of each species to repopulate the earth after the flood. And so Noah went to work. Now this is item number two. Two of every kind of unclean animals and seven of every kind of the clean animals. And so some believe that Noah perhaps took seven pairs of every clean animal, making 14, making 14 of each species but if we think about the pattern of God, and I'll just leave this in passing, but if we think about the pattern of God, the pattern of God for the ark was two by two. And so perhaps Noah took three pairs plus an extra one, and maybe that extra one was for sacrifice. I mean, we don't know that. We don't know much about that, and so I'm not gonna spend any time on that. But it wasn't just enough to give the animals a ticket on the ark and say, well, Here's your armband or here's your lanyard, here's your pass to get on, amen. But, but Noah had to feed them and he had to care for them 
every clean, uh, clean animals, even the clean animals didn't clean the ark. <laughs> Noah and his family had a lot of work to do to keep, just to keep the ark clean. And we don't know how all these animals got along. There's a lot of the details of, of the story of Noah and the ark that are left out. We don't know how the lion and the lamb got along. We don't know how the wolf and the sheep got along. Was it something supernatural that quieted their natural instincts for a season? Did God just lift their natural instincts and, and put a spirit of fellowship and harmony on them? Or did the Lord cause all these animals to go into some kind of hibernation mind, mindset? We don't have the answers to this. But we know that something obviously happened or everybody wouldn't have made it out of there. Amen. Now Noah could check off the second thing on his to-do list, but he's still not done. In Hebrews 11 and 7, it gives us sort of um, Noah's job description, maybe if, that, if maybe that would be a good way to put it. Hebrews 11 and 7, the Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house his job description, to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Genesis 6 and 17, in this verse of scripture, God essentially told Noah that he was going to have a church of eight, including you. But in, in 2 Peter 2 and 5, the Bible refers to Noah as being a preacher of righteousness. So I, I'm not convinced that it was just in the intention that God would save no one but him, I think mercy was present for a long, long time. Amen, he was a preacher of righteousness. So we know what we think of when we see or when we hear the word preacher or when we think about the preacher. So when you think about someone preaching, you probably envision a little bit of what I'm doing here tonight, teaching and preaching the word of God. And so we... When we think about Noah being a preacher of righteousness, we're not really sure, I'm not really sure that Noah was preaching when he had an opportunity between building and between everything that was going on. It's possible that Noah was warning. It's possible that Noah was sitting down with everybody that he could. It's possible that he had some little wood-framed uh, uh, desk that he was standing behind trying to teach and talk to people about about the impending judgment of the Lord? Or could it be that Noah was just preaching by the act of building the ark? Amen. Maybe it was just the, the act of every day Noah getting up and going back to that project and staying focused. And when people came by, what are you doing, Noah? It would give him an opportunity to say, amen. Either way, whether Noah had a pulpit or whether Noah was holding just a hammer, we know two things are glaringly obvious that he never stopped working and it never rained before it's time. He just kept moving by faith. In the absence of an attaboy, in the absence of somebody to help him along, in the absence of a, of a weekend and a midweek service to help him kind of keep the momentum of his life, he heard the word of God and he just walked with faith understanding, amen, that I'm saving my house. I'm working to save my house. I, I stated earlier in Genesis 6 and 22, 
tells us that Noah did all that God told him to do. When he had finally done the last thing on his list, the Lord spoke to him again. Amen. When he had finally done the last thing on his list, I want to slow down here and make sure we get that, that the Lord spoke to him and said, this is what you do. We think that it took somewhere around a century for Noah to to complete the task at hand. And it was not until then that God spoke to him again. Now think about that, that all of those years could pass and maybe there's a message in that. Maybe you could title the message, The Silence of God. Some of you preachers can go to work on that and you're welcome. (laughs) The Silence of God. And then in Genesis 7 and 1, that voice like thunder cracks the silence. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Noah, come on. Because while you've been building, I've been watching. While you've been working, I've been watching. While you've been faithful, I've been observing. And so Noah, here is your invitation, sir. You and your house, amen, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this, if I may say, to help us understand in this entire generation, this is what I see righteous before me. Eight people boarded the boat, corralled the animals, and God shut to the door. And then the Bible says that he opened the windows of heaven. Amen, the windows of heaven, and it began to rain. Before long, the ark that had taken almost a century to build was starting to rise. It was lifting itself out of whatever type frame or whatever type thing that Moses had built to hold it upright. It was now coming loose from the moorings that had held it for all of these decades. Amen, it was floating. The scripture doesn't tell us, but there may have been a few people who rushed to the ark to climb aboard, but you see, it was too late because God had shut to the door. It wasn't Noah's decision. This wasn't what Noah was doing. This wasn't Noah being crass and indifferent. This wasn't, this wasn't Noah having and showing no mercy but I just want to remind you, nor was it God showing no mercy, nor was it God that said, no, you can't get on here because you see, God had given the world a hundred years to make their reservations to get on that ark. Amen, when the trumpet sounds and the church is called away, some would say, what kind of God would do that? But can I tell you tonight that I'm just one. I say this humbly, but I have to say it confidently that I am just one of thousands, if not millions, of voices that are around the world echoing and saying, amen, there's a judgment coming. There's a warning coming to the sound, to the, there's a warning that was coming in, into the radio room of the Titanic. There was a warning that was coming to Captain Smith. You're in a dangerous place. You're in a, you're in a dangerous place. You need to turn around. But someone said, no, we're okay. And by the time, by the time they thought, well, we'll turn a little bit south. You see, it was too late. And I'll tell you what, this night, represents. This night represents far more than just a a dry, 
dull Wednesday night gathering. Amen, that may be what somebody has it registered as or maybe that's what they mark it up as and, and somebody say, well, it takes me longer to get dressed and drive to church than we're even in the house of God. Amen, you better stop measuring time. You better stop trying to measure our way of service by those instruments because I'm telling you what's going on right here tonight. It can't be measured with time. It can't be measured with a clock. It can't be measured with a calendar. You can't pick up what's happening here and say, well, this is what this service weighs tonight. No, amen. There's a trumpet that's being put to the lips. There's a certain sound that's going out. And the Bible said, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, then who will prepare themselves to the battle? And so I will tell you tonight, not because I'm holding the microphone, but because of what we're doing. Amen. You can't measure the weight of what God is doing in this place right now. Amen. I'll tell you what this is tonight, Brother Williams. This is time. You know what tonight's service is? This service tonight is grace. This service tonight, this is mercy. That's what this is. Amen, because people ride by the highway. Amen, they ride by and they see the cars. They see your car in the parking lot. Amen, whether they turned in or not, whether they chose to be here tonight. Amen, I'm telling you, I pray for our own church family that don't have, amen, it in their heart to come to the house of God. You're, 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 not, you're, you're measuring this wrong. You're weighing this wrong because this is grace. This is grace. This is God's grace. Amen. Oh, it could seem like a cold and indifferent and it could seem like a cruel God that was shut to the door. But you're just measuring that moment. You're, you're just taking one picture of an entire vacation and try to, to say this is, no, 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 no. No, there was a hundred years of a man and his, and his family. There was years after year after year. Amen, it all got rolled in. It all got rolled in. I've often wondered, I don't want to meander here, but I've often wondered, you know, if, if Noah built, building the ark wasn't enough, maybe that just became so common till Noah just kind of was spoke about and whispered breaths. Well, Noah, you know Noah. The boat guy. And in the minds of some, he had probably lost all credibility by the time but wouldn't you think when those animals started loading on that boat, somebody would have given Paul to say, wait a minute now. <laughs> That's just how my little mind works. But I would just think that somewhere, somebody would say, wait a minute now. There's something different about this. I mean, you know, we've heard the, the hammer blows and we've just, we've gotten, that's just, we've just grown tone deaf to that. But now this today, that's something different. God didn't just give them a hundred years. He gave them a diligent preacher of righteousness. What's, that's what Hebrews said. A way of escape before it rained. But another gift that was given to this generation was the immeasurable gift of faith. <laughs> the faith. The faith that he gave Noah. That gift. That gift of a man that just wouldn't be dissuaded. Please take note that God is not cruel. As a matter of fact, God is abundantly merciful. Years of faith in action, day after day before the rain. 
Once the ark started flowing, floating, Noah must have sat down maybe with a sigh of relief in his heart at least that, that the task was done, not, not relieved that people were losing their lives, but that relief that had to come with knowing that he followed the will of God and that in fact they were safe and his family was safe and he had obeyed the Lord. He had been so faithful to what he believed and, and he obeyed the word of God. No doubt he was thankful that he followed those divine blueprints. I'm so glad that we didn't cut any corners here. And so here is the key, that faith always manifests itself by obedience. Because we can talk a lot of things. And it's not what we talk about. It's not what we sing about, not what we shout about, not what we amen. It's what we do when we get up and walk out of this building. Had Noah simply nodded when God told him about a worldwide flood, he would have been swept away, he and his family, just like the rest of the world. It was not enough for Noah to, to just believe God's word. He had to obey God's word. Countless times, I know that I have said this and others like me have said that there's many people tonight that believe the word of God. There are many tonight that believe you must repent and you must be baptized in Jesus' name and you must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost is gonna be evidenced by speaking with other tongues. There's a lot of people that can walk you through all the doors of salvation, but they just don't obey it. He needed faith, but he needed works. And that brings us to the, a battlefield of a long-fought theological war, a war between faith and works. Some in the apostles' day believed that all they had to do was just believe. Now I want you to listen carefully because it's gonna sound much like the environment in which we live. They sat with clean hands and ivory towers and they nodded when they heard the truth, but they never obeyed what they heard. They walked away. They were just whited sepulchers. Faith was all they needed because work, well now work, that's just too much work. They simply believed the gospel. They believed that Jesus came and died and lived and buried and rose again. And if you believe that, you're right with God. But there's still a, a, a huge problem with this theology. And that is that it's wrong. Because it's incomplete. That's not enough. If you believe that Jesus Christ came, died, lived rather than died and was buried and rose again, then if that's the sum total of what you believe, you just believe in history. And you may be right about your history, but that doesn't make you right with God. Amen. Then there were those on the other side of this equation, just turned the pan over and they believed in works. You just do better, you do more, you live better, you help more, you just give more, you dig deeper. But Isaiah 64 and six doesn't give that theology a passing grade because Isaiah 64 and six says all of our righteousness is just as filthy rags. So if we could stack up every good deed from here to heaven, Isaiah let us know that all we'd have to show for all of that goodness would just be a pile of filthy rags. So which is it? Should we have faith or should we have works? Should we believe or should we obey? In the kingdom of God, faith and works is not an either or. It is a both and. That's why I'm preaching tonight about the power of two. They go hand in hand. That's why James wrote, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead because it's alone. James 2, 17. 
In verse 18, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. And so here is this long fought war about what do we do? Do we just believe or do we just have works? Neither camp is right if that's where you stand alone because we gotta bring these two camps together. We gotta bind these two in the middle. Amen. We've got to pull these two purposes together because together they become the power of two. So how does all of this apply to you and I today? Where do we fight and where do we stand in the fight between faith and works? I believe that we should fight for both. Some accuse, some accuse us, apostolic Pentecostals, as just believing in works of salvation. But that is so not true. We absolutely believe in Ephesians 2 and 8 and Ephesians 2 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We cannot add one measure to the finished work of Calvary. I can't bake, I can't mow enough lawns. You can't bake enough apple pies. You can't fast, you can fast till your belly button falls off. But I promise you that it's not gonna add one measure to the finished work of the cross. You can pray until there is no more voice. You can pray until you're pale as a ghost from not seeing the light of day. But I'm gonna tell you that not one ounce of that prayer is gonna change. It won't add one measure of anything to the finished work of Calvary. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. Amen, I can't dress it up. I can't hold it up. I can't prop it up. I've often said, this is why I won't argue and debate with people in Bible studies because if the word of God needs me to prop it up, we're all in trouble. Amen, the word will stand on its own. It's been standing for centuries. When Jesus said it's finished, it was finished. And so we live the way we live, not to get saved, but we live the way we live because we are saved. Amen. If I'm going to be late, if I'm going to be late coming home, the reason I text my wife or call my wife and let her know that is not is not so that I, I, I it's not so that I can stay married. I do that because I am married. I'm not doing that because I'm afraid of driving up and she's going to be standing on the carport with her hands on her hips. Amen. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. <laughs> Some say, well, you don't have to go to church to be saved. Well, just try that in any other relationship. Amen. I don't have to go to work to have a job. I don't have to go home to have a marriage. I don't have to come home to keep my children. Well, it doesn't work anywhere else in life that way. Amen. Somewhere along the line, our actions are gonna speak louder than our words. And, and I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm, my conversation is clean. My thoughts are clean. Amen. My heart, I'm trying to do everything within my power to keep my heart right. Why? Because I've got the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's a temple. We would not, we would not just let, 
we would not just let anything in the world take place in this building. And then to be honest with you, you could buy everything that's in this building again. You can buy more carpet, more drywall, more wood. You can buy more lights and more equipment. You can buy it all. It can all be purchased again because in truth, the makeup of this building is no different than the makeup of your home or a building next door or our house or, or, or the shop for all that matter that's down on the back of our property. But what's different about this house, amen, is because we dedicated this house to God a long time ago. And we said this drywall, now that's not ordinary drywall. And this carpet, this is not ordinary carpet because this building is not an ordinary building. And so we guard what happens here. Amen, we guard what goes on here. Why? Because we dedicated this to the Lord. And so if this can be the temple, and if now we are the temple, then why would I want anything going on in and out of my life? Amen, flowing in and out and think everything can be all right. No, 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 no. I gotta hold myself. It's faith and it's works. I do trust him, but I do know there's some things that have to go along with that as well. Praise God. Amen. You see, faith and work, they're not enemies. They're inseparable Siamese twins. There's no way to have one without the other without destroying one or the other. You can't just say, well, I'm gonna take this and we're gonna pull this apart. I just wanna take this part home. We know Jesus died and was buried and rose again and we have faith to believe a historical event that we did not even witness that's, that it's what we call the gospel or the good news. But the good news is only really the good news when you obey it. <laughs> Outside of that, it's just ink on a page. Outside of that, it's just a sermon that was just preached. Our faith teaches us that Jesus died, but our obedience leads us to repent of our sins, according to Luke 13. Our faith teaches us that Jesus was buried, but our obedience leads us to also be baptized in Jesus' name. Our faith teaches us that Jesus rose from the grave, but our obedience leads us to be filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from that grave. Our faith teaches us that the God we serve is holy, but our obedience leads us to be holy because he is holy. Our faith teaches us that the God we serve hears us when we pray, but obedience leads us to prayer. Our faith teaches us that Jesus is coming back for a church that has made herself ready, but obedience leads us to be ready at all times. Amen. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come. It is faith and works. Faith and obedience. It is knowledge and then doing something with that knowledge. Putting that knowledge in action. Because it's only good news if you obey it. It's only good news if you apply it. I remember hearing Brother Osborne um, preach many years ago. He was actually teaching a, a session and I believe that perhaps this was even just in, he wasn't really teaching about this, but just some opening comments. Uh, but if you know Brother Osborne, his opening comments is like a sermon all of its own. But he talked about the, the millions and millions of dollars that are spent every year in research for medicine. And the millions and millions of dollars that are spent 
every year by consumers to buy that medicine. And then the millions and millions of dollars of medicine that is thrown away because people never took the time to take the medicine. You got people that devoted their entire lives and careers to the study of this field. Many, countless hands in the pot of of those that are bringing an antidote, an answer, hope by way of pharmaceuticals. And people take the prescription, buy the prescription, and just take it home and put it on the shelf. And you you can lay down right beside that and receive no help at all. Because you gotta put it in. It's gotta be taken. It's gotta be put into action. Amen. I'll ask you to stand if you will. An old Scotsman was running a small rowboat to take passengers across one of, of a little small lake in, in Scotland. One day a passenger noticed that the old man had carved the word faith on one oar and the word works on the other oar. Being curious, the passenger asked, he said, why why do you have faith and works carved on these oars? And the Scotsman smiled and he said, I could tell you, but it's best if I show you. So he just dropped one oar and he held the one called works and he just kept working. And of course, the little boat started going in circles. And then he dropped that oar and he held the one called faith. And you know, they went around in circles again, but this time it was just the other way. Then the old Scotsman, being the wisest man apparently on the vessel, picked up both oars and started rowing again. And the boat intentionally turned toward their destination. The wise man said, you see, that's the way it is in life as well as it is in the boat. You must have faith and you must have works because it's dangerous to have one without the other. Faith alone can't make us right with God. Works alone can't make us right with God. But when our faith prompts us to obedience, we can be made right with God and ready for heaven. And that is the power of two. The power of two. And so I'm going to just keep rowing. I'm going to keep pulling, understanding that one of these is critical to the other. They both belong in the boat and they belong in our hands and in our hearts. Amen. Can we worship the Lord? Amen. Let's love him this evening and magnify his name. It's his word. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.